All right, church family, grab your Bibles, which I will as well. Let's turn together to the ninth chapter of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 9. Well, almost every day, you and I are invited to something, aren't we? So whether it's an email in your inbox, or a commercial on TV, or a flyer in the mail, we're all often the objects of invitations. Hey, download this app. You'll save. I did that recently. Uh, Come to our wedding and celebrate. Vote for this candidate and find a better future. Be my Facebook friend and see all my political hot takes and what I had for dinner last night. I mean, you all get invitations from me. I'm sure it seems like every other day, right? Come join us for Zoom, uh, for a Bible study. Uh, There's an opportunity for outreach this Thursday. You can be a part of it, right? And many times with our jam-packed schedules and our culture, which just presents endless options, I think these invitations can begin to seem to compete with one another, right? Costco or Sam's? I don't know if anybody does Sam's anymore. So, sorry. Um, His birthday party or that wedding? Republican or Democrat? Last time I checked, you can't fill in both circles, right? These are competing invitations. And this afternoon, church family, we're going to wrap up the first section of the book of Proverbs. And as we do so, we're going to hear two more competing invitations. One from woman wisdom and one from woman folly. These invitations will prove not only to be competing, but actually mutually exclusive. To respond to one will mean rejecting the other. See, over the course of our study in the first eight chapters of Proverbs, we have seen lesson after lesson about the way of wisdom and the way of foolishness. And over and over again, we've thought about the consequences Uh, the process, the, the value of one over against the other. Over and over again, as we've done that, Proverbs then has been urging us, choose wisdom. Wisdom is of the greatest value. Wisdom brings life. And now, friends, we come to the last lesson. The last plea before the Proverbs of Solomon start in chapter 10. So our plan, Lord willing, we've learned to say that this year, haven't we? Our plan after Christmas is to take chapters 10 through 30 topically and select themes that seem to come up again and again from that second part of the book and then consider what the path of wisdom looks like for each of those themes, whether money or parenting or work or friendship. But for now, the first section of Proverbs comes to a head here in chapter 9. So we all have done a lot of thinking. We all have done a lot of talking about Proverbs. Chapter 9 comes and says, okay, folks, it's decision time. Which invitation are you going to accept? Which party will you attend? Will woman wisdom's voice win out? Or will woman folly win the day with your heart? So Proverbs chapter 9. This afternoon we're going to keep it super simple with our outline. 
I'm just going to split it up into two parts corresponding to the two women in this text. First, woman wisdom, and then woman folly. Woman wisdom, and then woman folly. So first, woman wisdom. Look at with me at the first six verses. Proverbs chapter 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. This is the call of woman wisdom. Remember, throughout Proverbs, we've seen the wisdom of God personified as a female, as a woman, a woman men should seek to know. This doesn't mean Proverbs is only for a male audience. Instead, as we've said before, we should come to Proverbs, all of us, and see how its counsel applies to each one of us. But that doesn't change the fact that the immediate context here in Proverbs is to a young man or young men, as we'll see here in chapter 9. And so it makes sense. Wisdom is presented as a woman. A woman, a man should pursue and know intimately. That's the language throughout Proverbs 1 through 9. And here in chapter 9, we see her call out one final time before we launch into the Proverbs in chapter 10. But before we hear her words this afternoon, do you see her actions? Look in verse 1. We see here, woman wisdom is an industrious worker. She has built a house, a house with seven pillars. In the Bible, the number seven often signifies completeness. And so it's likely these seven pillars are meant to picture for us a grand house, a mansion, if you will in which woman wisdom is preparing a feast for all those who would come and dine with her. And that feast is there in verse 2. It's making you hungry, I bet. Well, maybe not. It's a little violent there at first. She has slaughtered her beasts. Meat was a delicacy in those days. And woman wisdom is not preparing just one dish of meat, but multiple beasts. This is going to be a special feast. There's going to be some red meat at this at this shindig. Uh, She's also mixed her wine. There's going to be merriment and jollity at this dinner. And she has set her table. All's ready, folks. Bring in the guests. And so the invitation goes out. There in verse 3, woman wisdom sends her young women to call from the highest places in the town. And their call goes out to the simple, verse 4. Remember who the simple are. Throughout Proverbs, the simple are these folks who are gullible and vulnerable. They're they're naive. Verse 4, they lack sense. And what, what it seems like is that they're not quite, they haven't quite taken the path towards just full on wickedness. But neither have they chosen the path of wisdom. They they're at a crossroads. They need to decide. And it's to these passers-by that woman wisdom's servants cry out and say, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. There in verse 5, woman wisdom calls out, come, eat my bread, drink of the wine I have mixed, leave your simple ways and live 
and walk in the way of insight. I don't know about you, but I think the way of wisdom can often get a bad rap, right? So in our study here in Proverbs, we define wisdom as the right view of God and his world and living life in light of that. The right view of God and his world and living life in light of that. And often, to our hearts, if we're honest, something that sounds like that definition can sound confining, servile. So there's this authority, okay? There's this God. And we're to not live in our own happy freedom, but we're to willingly submit ourselves to his rule. I mean, everything in me feels like that's just going to be miserable. Friends, just notice here the picture presented to the simpleton passing along the road by woman wisdom's house. He's not greeted by a somber gathering of frowning churchmen chanting endless creeds and condemning with stink eyes any smiles or giggles, right? It's like that, that age-old uh, joke against the Puritans that the Puritans' greatest fear is that somewhere someone is happy, right? We can often think of following God like that, even on our best days. But look at this. The simpleton is greeted by a warm house filled with delicious smells, delightful company, the best of food and drink. This is not a picture of cold, dead religion. This is a picture of life, vitality, enjoyment. It's a party. I wonder if you think of the Bible's teachings, even God's authority in sort of a cold, joyless manner. I'm not saying serious. Seriousness has its place. You'll know that if you come to our services. But is it possible that you've just kind of started believing the wrong information about your faith or your lack of it if you come and you're not a Christian, which we're grateful you're here? Maybe you need to go back and read the invitation again. Did you throw it out already? I mean, have you assumed or fallen into thinking living in God's wisdom is somehow dull or boring? It's nothing of the sort. Jonathan Edwards once wrote, God is the highest good of the reasonable creature. The enjoyment of him is our proper and is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven Fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Better than fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of any or all earthly friends. These are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. Look again, friend. Go back into your filing cabinet and get that invitation out again. God's way is not only the wise way, it's the happy way. It's the blessed way for eternity. Woman wisdom calls the simple to her feast. Her feast is for those who choose wisdom, right? 
And as to those who choose her, we get a sense of these men and women who are her guests there in verses 7 through 12. So this, this uh, chapter is very clearly split between verses 1 through 6, woman wisdom, and verses 13 through 18, woman folly. They're almost mirror images of each other. And then in the middle, we get these odd six verses that many commentators have been like, I don't know why that's here. But I think we see a little bit about the guests of woman wisdom and woman folly in these middle six verses. We see who lines up with those two women. So look at the second part of verse eight. These are woman wisdom's guests. Reprove a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, that's wisdom, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. So the wise, those who respond to woman wisdom's call are those who over time show themselves to be humble and teachable, desirous not of boastful pride, but humble wisdom. These men and women are those who, upon receiving rebuke and instruction, welcome those things with open arms, knowing they will experience the, the blessing of the God of wisdom as a result. In the beginning, the foundation of this wisdom is verse 10, the fear of the Lord. That has been a theme thus far in Proverbs and will continue to be so. Fearing the Lord means bending yourself to his majesty and authority, living in light of his position as the king and your position as the subject. But the fear of the Lord isn't just a, an idea of God's transcendence. It's also an idea that implies his imminence, his closeness. Those who fear the Lord love the Lord. Those who fear the Lord have relationship with their king. And this relationship, this vertical relationship between God and his creation is the foundation then to a good life and to a blessed eternity. Living a good life on this horizontal plane must mean having the right vertical relationship with the creator of all we are and all we know. And so, woman wisdom's words ring out from the highest hills down to the roadways below. Turn to me, O simple. Leave behind your simple ways, your friendship with those who have not chosen me. There is great blessing in turning to wisdom. But notice there, there's also great cost. Wisdom urges the simple to what? To leave. To leave their current way of life and turn to her. That's the invitation. It's an invitation to repentance and blessing. Take it or leave it. That's woman wisdom's invitation. So what then of woman folly and her invite? Look at verse 13. Proverbs 9, verse 13. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house she takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. 
And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he doesn't know that the dead are there. That her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Church, the contrast between these two women could not be more stark. One woman is a prize. The other is a predator. One woman requires humility and then promises blessing. The other woman kisses up to our pride, but hides the curses which will only become obvious later on. Woman wisdom is industrious. She works hard to build her house and prepare her dinner and set her table. Woman folly is lazy. You see that? She sits at the door of her house. There's this element of chaos about her home. There's boisterous talk and just sedentary lifestyle. Her food, verse 17, is stolen, yet she's promising it's going to be sweet. Her bread is to be eaten in secret, though she wants everyone to know it's going to prove pretty pleasant. Later in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 17, we read, Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. Can the Bible get any more detailed than that? Go out, go out to the road, take a bite. That's what you get at Woman Folly's party. Woman Folly's party promises to be a great time with an eternally miserable hangover. So who is Woman Folly? She's the diametric opposite of Woman Wisdom. Woman Wisdom portrays the wisdom of God, a right view of God in his world and living life in light of it. She leads to blessing. She leads to life. Folly, on the other hand, portrays the lies of sin in this world. It says you can live as your own God. She says you can live your life in light of your own desires, not in light of God's design. She says you're not accountable to any authority. She promises you carefree enjoyment. And she masks the death that lies in wait. Woman Folly uses the exact same words and addresses the exact same people as Woman Wisdom. You see that in verse 16. She cries out, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. It's like two billboards on either side of the roadway. But when the simpleton turns to Woman Folly, when he accepts her invitation and sends a regretfully declined RSVP to Woman Wisdom, he finds out, verse 18, that Folly's dinner guests are actually dead. You see that? Verse 18, but he does not know that the dead are there. Tremper Longman, the, the scholar, puts it like this. He says, they are departed ancestors. This sounds pretty Halloween, doesn't it? There's no life there. The way of folly, the way of living life in rejection of the creator and his design and rule is death. It's being cut off from the giver of life. And what's left after you do that? So woman folly's invitation sounds fun. It promises enjoyment. It suggests some sort of delightfully scandalous frivolity. But her end is death. 
And again, in the middle section there, we see some of Woman Folly's followers and what they're like. They're called scoffers there in verse 7. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves, reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Friends, as painful as it can be, here is a great test of whether we are walking in wisdom or folly. How do you respond when someone corrects you? How do you respond when your husband or your wife points out a flaw in your character? How do you react when a friend or a coworker reveals a way you've failed them? I'm not talking about whether their point is legitimate or not. I'm talking about how you're responding to it. Perhaps you're sitting there and you're thinking, hmm, I'm just, when's the last time that happened? I'm just not corrected that often. Well, friend, maybe that's a warning sign. Maybe you don't have folks in your life who are close enough to correct you, or maybe if you do, they don't feel the freedom from you to offer that to them or to you. Friends, take heed. A wise person heeds correction and counts it a blessing. Now, you won't do that perfectly. That's why this, the, there's an idea here in these middle verses of sort of a gradual sanctification, right? Because you're going to get instruction and reproof over and over again. You're not going to always do it perfectly, but Christian, look at your track record. Is there reason to be encouraged by how you've grown in this area? Do you respond better, worse, or uh, pretty much the same to correction of others today as opposed to last year or five years ago? Or 10 years ago? Is there progress in your humble acknowledgement of your weakness and your need? See, those who, who stop up their ears to correction, who mock at rebuke, who even tear into those who would dare step on them, they are the followers of woman folly and their end is death. So be warned. And church, consider the question Proverbs 9, indeed all the first nine chapters of this book, is leaving us with as after Christmas, Lord willing, we enter the, the Proverbs of Solomon properly in chapter 10. The question is, as we start thinking about money and parenting and friendship, as we start thinking about your work and your words, in your plans? Which path are you going to choose? Which dinner party will you respond to? Will your pride hold you back from woman wisdom's kind invitation? Or will you humble yourself and count the cost, heavy as it is, very much worthwhile to leave sin and follow her? Church, as we've noted during our study, I think this is our eighth study in Proverbs thus far, woman wisdom is a picture of God's wisdom. The teachings of Proverbs come ultimately from God himself. And so, 
It makes sense then that the wisdom of this book will finally always point us to the wisdom of God made flesh. And so as woman wisdom makes her call in this passage, as woman wisdom gives you, each one of you, an invitation to bread and wine in her home, I think another even greater voice should be echoing in our minds. Listen to these words from John chapter 7. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Church, woman wisdom's invitation in this text culminates in the invitation of our Lord Jesus Christ, wisdom itself incarnate, to find life at his table with him alone. Jesus invites us to a banquet. He invites us to nourish ourselves on him as our bread of life, like Jane was reading earlier. He invites us to come to him as the water that will quench our thirst for meaning, our, quench, our, our thirst for satisfaction, our thirst for fulfillment. If you've read John 2 recently, you'll know Jesus' wine is the best, and it's for you. Nothing else surpasses it. He offers life that is eternal, life forever in relationship with the one who has created us. Friends, there is a cost to this invitation. But Jesus has paid it. See, we were the scoffers who believed we didn't need salvation. We were the poor who believed we had no need for God. We were the wicked who rejected God's design and lived foolish lives as our own gods. And when Jesus came, he incurred injury for us, using the words of chapter, uh, verses 7 through 12 there. He was abused for our scoffing. He was injured for our wickedness. He was killed to bring us life. On the cross, the wrath of God was poured out on the Son of God, so that you and I would no longer be the enemies of God, but the very children of God invited to his table forever. Jesus came to thirst so we could drink living water. He came to suffer and die, calling out to his father upon the cross and hearing no response so that when we now hear his call, we have ears to hear and respond in faith and repentance. See, before Jesus called us, he came to us. All other religious faith systems have us working our way into God's good graces or the God's good graces or universe's good graces, keeping the rules that have been put in place, following the, the sovereign's laws so that he's happy enough with us that maybe when the dinner party comes around, just maybe we'll get an invitation in the mail. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ, only the good news of Christianity has God stooping to us, to the very ones unworthy to be invited, to dirty, undeserving sinners and inviting vagabonds like us to his dinner party. 
Church, the banquet feast Jesus prepares is for those who are broken, who have scoffed, who have committed wickedness, and who are desperately aware of their need for grace. So the first step of the fear of the Lord, the first step of wisdom, is to recognize the way we've offended a holy God and to rejoice when we see that the door to the banquet is still open. Not because we're worthy, but because Jesus has come to bear the wrath of a holy God for us. Because Jesus was sent away from fellowship at that table. Because he died for our sin, we are now welcomed in. All of grace. And so as we rejoice in the gospel this afternoon, what should fill our hearts is incredible awe that this salvation has been extended to us. That this invitation has come to our mailbox. We sang about this earlier, didn't we? You guys did a great job singing a kind of a hard melody and a more harder hymn to sing, but did you hear the words? While all our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast, that's God's feast, each of us cry with thankful tongues, Lord, why was I a guest? Why was I made to hear thy voice and enter while there's room, when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come? As the hymn goes on, we sing of the love that spread the feast and sweetly draws us in. Left to ourselves, we would continually refuse to enter and taste of that sweet banquet. But where our sins are many, Jesus' mercy is more. Church, if we've been invited in, how much more ought we to invite others to this grand feast of fellowship with God through his Son? Have you called out to your friends and your family and your co-workers and invited them in? The invitation is open. If not, perhaps you've forgotten the excitement and amazement you experienced when you first got that invite. If you're not calling others, if you're not forwarding on the, the evite, as, as it were, to their emails, begging them to come along with you, maybe you've forgotten what... A, first meant to you to enter into that banquet hall. Maybe you've forgotten your first love. Maybe you need to go back and review your invitation once again and remember the mercy of God to invite even you. I know I do. Again and again. And friend, if you're here and you're not a Christian, Maybe you're kind of self-professedly not a Christian, or maybe you just kind of know that about yourself, even though everybody else thinks you are. You're just like, yeah, I've never really believed. Maybe you just haven't really understood the invitation. Why have you resisted turning to Christ? In Matthew 22, we see a parable told by Jesus of of a king sending out an invitation to a sumptuous wedding feast. You might remember the story. The first group of invitees are just not interested. So they're taken up with too many important matters. They pay no attention. Some of them are consumed with busyness. Others just violently oppose the invitation and even kill the people who brought the invite. And those people are destroyed. Friend, will you end up being like one of those? 
pushing off the invitation, too busy with other things, ignoring the king's feast. As we see that first group of invitees shun the invite and pay the price, we see the king then do what is just so beautiful and unexpected. And he, with his grand castle and the spread of a lifetime of wedding feast and wine, doesn't go out to the worthy nobles anymore, but he goes out to the highways and byways, to the poor and undeserving, to those who never thought when they saw that castle up on the hill that they would dine even there. And he invites them to his meal, the castoffs, the nobodies. Friend, that's you. And he invites you into joy and life. Humble yourself. See the invaluable invitation held out to you today. The door to that dinner party, the door to salvation through Christ from sin and life forevermore with God is not going to remain open forever, but it still is today. See your desperate need and stand amazed that God's mercy has extended to even you. Turn and be saved today. If you have questions about that, you can talk to me afterwards right outside the doors here. I'd love to talk with you more about what it means to follow Jesus and trust in him for salvation. Or you can talk to somebody who you came with today or who you know in our church. There's nothing we would rather do for the next few hours than to share with you how you can be a part of the family of God, welcomed to his table. In church, this is how the Bible ends. And so that's how we're going to end this sermon. In the very few last verses of the Bible, close to the end, the invitation is still held out. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Friend, the price has been paid by the blood of Jesus. And so the door is open wide. Enter in. Eat of the bread that will never grow stale and the wine that will never grow bitter. Come and feast with the king. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time as a church family to walk slowly but surely through these first nine chapters of Proverbs, hearing what seems like the same message over and over again, but recognizing that we need the same message over and over again. Lord, thank you that it all ends here with chapter 9 calling us to decision. Will we be wise? Will we pursue you? Or will we turn away? We ask that for every soul in this room this afternoon, you would cause us to turn to you through Christ, to turn to your wisdom incarnate in our Savior. We thank you that although our sins were too many for us to count, his mercy has always been so much more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.